This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 46. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the fourth Doctor regeneration story, Legopolis, as we continue our journey through the regeneration stories, heading toward the twelfth Doctor's regeneration. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, uh, just the the first, we'll hear the. I just want to give you like the basic facts about Legopolis, and then I'm going to play the sound of a trailer. I think the DVD trailer. Um, it aired in 1981, uh, February, March 1981. It was four episodes. Uh, this is the fourth Doctor we're talking about, and it's the last of his seven season run, which I think at the time was the longest. It might still be yes, the longest. Isn't it? it is the longest. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. The, the fourth Doctor had the longest run. Um, so let's let's hear the sound of the trailer and we'll get right into talking about this episode. Who's looking for us now? You've disposed of the master. Yes. I demand to see who's ever in charge of this ship. It's not your father. Trimus is dead, murdered by him, the master. My dear Doc, Lagopolis is honored by your visit. Without it, I could not have conquered Legopolis. This is not conquest, it's devastation. It's nothing more than a blanket of silence. Put together. At last. So, Legopolis, and there's the sound of the trailer. By the way, folks, so we got some good feedback uh, f- uh, from some previous episodes. I'd like to uh, to kind of read some of that at the end of this episode, and uh, and we can comment on it if we get some time. Uh, so we'll just uh, we'll come back to that uh, if I forget, guys, <laughs> remind me. So, uh, Legopolis, uh, the Fourth Doctor. Um, just a, a quick, uh, you know, recap of what this uh, these four episodes are about. The Doctor goes to Legopolis to repair the TARDIS's chameleon circuit, which has been keeping it in the shape of a of a police box. Um, I'm, you know, at the beginning of this episode, I kind of figured it doesn't work out, <laughs> considering it's still in the shape of a police box. Uh, while and, and by this by this point, police boxes had already faded from the scene in England, so there were still a few that were around, but not right. very many. Right, uh, and I wonder if they were if if that. It's funny how it the 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 police box the fact that it's shaped like a police box has changed the way the doctor works with the TARDIS and the people interact with it over the years from something that's common to something like what is this thing like people don't even recognize it anymore so it's kind of funny to see that. Um, uh, meanwhile, there's this shadowy watcher in white that uh, is 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 spying on the doctor this whole time. Uh, uh, always, you know, in the background and interacts with the doctor at one point. But um, uh, meanwhile, the master is uh, here. He's uh, returned. Um, they thought he was dead, apparently. Yeah. And we should note. So this is the this is the sort of the second appearance 
of Anthony Ainley as the master. Uh, people who are longtime fans of the show will know that the master originally was introduced, uh, played by an actor named Roger Delgado during John Pertwee's third Doctor's time. Uh, and then uh, Roger Delgado was tragically killed in a car crash while he was shooting a movie in Turkey. And earlier in the Tom Baker era, we'd had a couple of appearances of the master and to get around the fact that Roger Delgado was not available. They had a couple of different actors portraying the master as if he were like horribly burned and disfigured. So he didn't, he, he didn't look like uh, Roger Delgado, but that wasn't a permanent solution. And so just a story or so before this in a, in a story called the keeper of Trocken, um, the, um, Doctor went to a planet called Trocken that was ru ruled by a man named Tremus, which is an anagram of master. And Tremus was a good and wise man, also played by Anthony Ainley, and was the father of Nyssa, the doctor's new, one of the doctor's new companions in this episode. And at the end of The Keeper of Trocken, the burned, disfigured master took over the body of Tremus and regenerated into the new Anthony Ainley master who looks like Tremus. And that plays into uh, Nissa's storyline because she's she obviously has father issues with the master. <laughs> right. And uh and, and that and that becomes a factor in this episode. Um so the master has plans for uh the planet Legopolis. Uh, which is a planet of mathematicians. Um, and this plan could spell doom for the entire universe. Uh, so it could um, cause the unraveling of the universe itself. And so the doctor uh, must pit his wits against the master in a desperate battle to thwart his plans. Uh, so um, as it starts, there's this, the, the the beginning of this episode is is sort of well I mean actually I, I find that the whole thing is a little more complex than other episodes that we've watched already from from earlier. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So first we we have this um, the, the 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 TARDIS is like sitting on the edge on the side of a road and a and a policeman comes up and wants to well no I'm sorry a police box this is like this is where my confusion begins is sitting on the side of a road in britain and a and a policeman comes up to use to use it for its intended purpose to make a a call while he's doing it a tardis materializes sort of in the place of or around the police box uh right. which which means that the phone that the the the, the policeman's using goes dead and then um the door mysteriously opens and he gets dragged inside by uh, by a maniacally laughing uh, person, obviously the master. Meanwhile, <laughs> the doctor is with um, Adric. Adric. Could, uh, could we explain again who Adric is? Yeah. So at this point, uh, they knew Tom Baker was going to be leaving the show and they wanted to set up some new companions to carry over into the next doctor's time. And the first of those they introduced was Adric. He's an Alzarian. He's from a place called eSpace. He's not a human. His people have the ability. They're kind of originally actually sort of swamp creatures, but they have the ability to take human form, which he has done. 
And he is known for a couple of things. One of them is for being a mathematical genius, and the other is for being an annoying brat. And, <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, he was, basically he the Wesley original Crusher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was Wesley Crusher before there was Wesley Crusher. Okay. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, the Adric and the Doctor are, are as we we see them, are in the the cloister, which we've ne- I've never seen before. Is this the right. first this appearance? This is the first time we've seen it. Okay. So we've seen a- other bits of the of the TARDIS before, but this is the first time we've seen the cloisters, which are kind of. Uh, like covered walkways with vines and stuff like that. And also we have the first mention of the cloister bell, which is an alarm that the TARDIS rings whenever something really bad is happening. Okay. So um, in the past, you've mentioned the cloister bell, uh, Jimmy, uh, during, you know, in in, uh, episodes of New Who, we've heard it. And I thought it was... um, uh, figurative, <laughs> but this is literally a bell in a cloister inside the TARDIS, which is funny. I mean, cloister to me uh, reminds me of, of of monasteries and convents. Yeah. I mean, that's where you often find them. Although you will find them in other places like uh, Oxford colleges and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's it's a, it's a feature of a certain style of architecture. Um, but so the Doctor is pacing around in the in a in the cloister room. Um, thinking about decay and entropy, which you know, put a pin in that. That's becomes a vital point in in the uh, the end of the episodes. Um, and uh, the bell rings. Uh, the doctor can't figure out, doesn't know what it's for, so no sense worrying about it. Um, and so instead, he decides to repair the TARDIS's chameleon circuit. And to do that, he he wants to um, materialize the TARDIS around a real police box and get its precise measurements. In 47 um, dimensions. Yes. Yeah. This is where I kind of got lost, but that's okay. I, 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 this is one of those situations where just push on. I don't understand what he's saying. Push on. Um, and so, remarkably, they they happen to pick the same police box, which as the master's TARDIS around it. And, in fact, um, when they materialize, the master's TARDIS materializes inside the control room of the doctor's TARDIS. And then we have... TARDIS is all the way down. It's just a yeah, a, 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 yeah. In, a, like, an infinite loop, like funhouse mirrors. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, this this incidentally taps into something that a lot of people have noted. Um, around this time of the show, there was a very popular book that was out called Girdle Escher Bach by an American computer scientist named Douglas Hofstetter. And it was very popular in American culture and it influenced a lot of kind of geek culture at the time. One of the principal ideas that's discussed in Gerda Lesherbach is the concept of recursion. Uh, recursion is where you have something that loops back on itself in an interesting way. And so this idea of a TARDIS within a TARDIS within a TARDIS, within a TARDIS, is an example of recursion. And a lot of people mm-hmm. have noticed with the themes of recursion and mathematics and reality and metaphysics and all of that tied together in Legopolis and some other episodes we're about to see, like the the, the next episode with the first Peter Davidson story, Castro Valva, um, also has a lot of this in it. And it seems like the kind of Gödel escher bach themes are being reflected in Doctor Who at this time. Interesting. I'm, I'm curious um, what themes are in the current series of Who that will will 
in the future, 50 years, 40 years, will seem just as like, uh, why are they talking Time about bound. this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, certainly, um, uh, Britney Spears's, uh, uh, friend, oh, what song in the, 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 the ninth doctor's oh, yeah. third episodes <laughs> seems yeah, already exactly. time bound. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Okay. So now this, the doctor's going to take these measurements to Legopolis, the, the, the universe's premier mathematicians, and they're going to create a, a, what is it called? A block value computation. Is that a block thing? Transfer, block transfer. Block okay. transfer computation. That's right. right. Now nah, they made that up. Okay. Um, good. <laughs> See, I, I'm not a mathematician uh, and, or, a, or a computer programmer. I know a bit about it. Uh, so I'm not sure wh where the where reality ends and uh, science fiction begins w with this stuff. Charged vacuum embodiments are also made up. <laughs> I kind of guessed that one, but I, yeah. <laughs> but I was I was going to ask. Um, okay, so the word embodiment does mean something real, though it, it refers to an interlocking or a stacking of things. Okay, so when we meet the chart, well, later on, I'm sure we'll talk about the charged vacuum embodiments that are keeping our universe alive. And basically, what they are is interlockings of our universe with other universes to deal with the right. problem of entropy. Okay, and that's and that's and that's how uh, they ended up in E space, which is another universe where Adric comes from. Right, they fl uh, accidentally flew through one of them, and then there was a season where they tried to get back. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. Okay. Did get back. The whole sort season. of their Voyager season. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they um, there was a companion Romana, Romana, who was first introduced as part of the Key to Time season. They had a whole season where the Doctor and this Romana, another a time Time Lord lady, uh, flew around the universe finding these pieces of the Key to Time, including an, a, a great episode written by Douglas Adams, the Pirate Planet, one oh. of my favorite episodes personally. I love that one. But um. So she was there, and then she regenerated, um, was with uh, for a couple more seasons, wasn't it, Don? Or yeah. Jimmy? Yeah. And then, and then, then, she, then when they came out of East Space, she remained behind with Canine, the robot dog. Right, and they, they believe they refer to that in this episode about the dog. Yes, they do, and that's she's, that's why I brought that up. So. She's broken the the key law of Gallifrey, which is don't get involved, but she's become kind of permanently involved in East Space. Okay, exactly. Okay. Um, I do think there's some later um, who uh, lore that she did eventually come back into our universe mm -hmm. and return to Gallifrey. And became president of Gallifrey before the time war. Yep. Okay. Okay. Wow. I, I'm so far behind on all this stuff, but okay. <laughs> it just means I have lots to watch and, and catch up on. Um, okay. So... Um, so we've talked about two of the Doctor's companions yes. in this episode. One of them is Adric. The other is Nyssa, who is a whereas Adric is a biological, is a mathematical genius and really annoying. Um, Nyssa is a is a biological, technological genius, and mm -hmm. not nearly as annoying. And um, we, we've we've seen her before here on Secrets of Doctor Who, and we talked about spare parts. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. And Dom, you mentioned how much you liked her because she like challenges the doctor and stuff. Right. And, and kind of is serving as his conscience. And Nyssa is uh, very much that that kind of character. Yeah. She um, holds her own in, in again with the doctor. Yeah. 
We also get the introduction of a third companion in this episode who we meet just as a a kind of stray cat that wanders onto the TARDIS, if I can put it that way. Um, (laughs) She's an Australian uh, stewardess who's getting ready to report for work at Heathrow Airport, and her name is Tegan Javanka. And she and her Auntie Vanessa have a flat on the way to the airport and get caught up in things. Right. Um, that, yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, let's sort of pick it up from there. It's um, they, they're, they're in the, an unreliable vehicle that breaks down on the way to the airport happens to break down right next to the TARDIS. Um, and uh, Tegan goes inside to look, to try to, to make a call apparently and ends up inside wandering around lost inside the TARDIS. Um, meanwhile, her aunt, uh, ends up like the policeman um turned into shrunken dolls essentially by by uh the uh by the master the master it was yep. it, and this this is an old thing the master would do he has this tissue compression converter thing it's kind of <laughs> like a sonic looks kind of like a sonic screwdriver but it shrinks people down to action figure size and kills them in the process it's a really weird weapon. It <laughs> seems to be just an elaborately weird weapon. But all right. Uh, one thing I noticed, I wanted to kind of mention just in passing, is how the interior of the control room uh, of the TARDIS looks unchanged in all the years from the first Doctor, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there may be a few things moved here and there, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it doesn't it like the TARDIS doesn't change. Does it change at all through the first run of Doctor Who? No, it's Not basically substantially. This, yeah, it's basically the same design. They tweak a few things, but it's basically the same design until you get to the uh, nineteen ninety six TV movie, and that's when you get some substantial changes. And then they completely redo it for the two thousand five relaunch. Mm-hmm. And then it well, apparently- you know, like one of the one of the major changes you will notice between say uh, John Pertwee era and this episode is now the the scanner the screen is behind like uh some blinds so they yeah. pull up and down and then you can see the scanner okay things but like that of course new that, new console the console's different you know stuff like that yeah the bedrooms will also change because they didn't keep those as permanent sets but the main console room is pretty much the same general design and we apparently mm-hmm. see much more of the tar- uh, tardis interior than we do in new who i mean we we occasionally get a view of diff of different parts but nowhere near as much as i've noticed with this i mean, i don't think we've ever seen a bedroom in the in the uh in the new who um no. yeah i don't know that we we've have seen, seen a bedroom we we've seen the library we've seen yep. a lot of corridors because there's that one episode where they're running around the corridors right and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that much later because that was season four season five it was the first Second Matt Smith season. I can't yes. remember which one, but yeah. it was and, much later on. Yeah, there's also in the later on in the Matt Smith era, there's Journey to the Heart of the TARDIS, and that's the episode mm-hmm. where we see the most of the TARDIS ever. Right. Um, in original Who, in classic Who, we occasionally get glimpses of it. We actually saw a surprising amount in the early William Hartnell days. Uh, they were kind of showing off the inside and how the companions were living with the Doctor and stuff. Um, earlier in the Tom Baker era, there was an episode where there was a lot of running through different parts of the TARDIS. Um, and they actually used, I don't know what it was like a hospital or an industrial plant or something like that 
for yeah. a lot of TARDIS interiors. It it didn't really look very science fictiony though. Yeah, yeah it's at some point at some point the interiors just started looking like a you know a nineteen hundreds era building complex you know yeah. <laughs> where it's like old wood doors you know the the workshop had, had like old wood doors and things like that you know and well i i do recall in the 10th doctor's regeneration oh, oh. episode uh they they were on a spaceship where the interior looked suspiciously like a uh, chemical processing plant somewhere on earth <laughs> yeah oh and I, I, father Corey just reminded me there was you asked dom about the design of the console room there was one season in the Tom Baker era where they swapped it out for a wooden based kind of Jules Verne type design. Right. But then after that one season, it went back to the standard design. Right. And that was, that was kind of an alternate, like a secondary console room. Right. That the TARDIS has. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so, I, so that's that's I mean that's a little bit of the lore for for new uh, new fans who who didn't watch the old. It's it's just one of those differences. So we have this Watcher in white, and we find out later that the Watcher in white is somehow the Doctor. Uh, it's just very strange. Mm-hmm. One thing that strikes me about as we go through the, each of these regenerations is regenerations are not nearly as uniform or a a a, a straightforward process as new who makes it appear i mean in new who they essentially are all the same uh yeah mm-hmm. but in but in uh classic they're all so very different i mean the way that the doctor regenerates is just it it's everything is every time is a different is it, it works differently yeah that's because they were inventing it on the fly originally when william hartnell <laughs> needed to be let go um they just came up with he renewed himself into Patrick Troughton somehow, and they didn't really explain it. And then when Patrick Troughton wanted to leave the show, the Time Lords changed, quote unquote, changed his appearance. But we didn't really have the standard concept of regeneration until the third Doctor, John Pertwee, left the show and became Tom Baker. And that's the first time there was a standard understanding of this is a regular Time Lord process. This is not just a one-off. And um, so this is, from that point of view, this is only the second planned regeneration we've ever seen. And an aspect of it that, um, that I've noticed, but I haven't seen a lot of other people comment on, is that in Planet of the Spiders, which we've already talked about, which is John Pertwee's regeneration episode, mm-hmm. we also see another Time Lord regenerate. There's uh, this monk from Gallifrey, not the meddling monk, but a, 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 a heroic one that was kind of the doctor's guru when he was a boy. Um, we see him regenerate. And before he does so, uh, we've already met another character named Choji, who is a mental projection of the right. Lama monk. And so this is a concept from Buddhism. Uh, mental projections like that are known as tulpas. And so uh, uh, the Lama, uh, whose name is Rinpoche, or his title is Rinpoche, um, he's got this mental projection of himself. And then when he dies, the mental projection sort of merges with him and takes over and becomes the new regeneration of Mm -hmm. the Lama. And And that's actually quite similar to what's happening here with Tom Baker. 
uh, we have the watcher as a manifestation of the somehow of the doctor's next incarnation that's appearing now. And then when Tom Baker is going to die, he merges with the watcher and becomes the next doctor. And so it's actually very much like what we see with uh, with the monk in Planet of the Spiders now being applied to Tom Baker. But this is the only time they've done that with uh, with uh, Hmm. the doctor himself. Okay. Um, it, it just, it, it, for me, it says there's possibilities for the future of how they, you know, that, that they're, we, we, we should expect, and maybe we can expect that in the future, regenerations are going to work differently sometimes. And, uh, I'm I not, hope they'll get a little more creative. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right now it's just the, you got the glowing yellow fireflies surrounding the doctor and he changes. Yeah. That's it. Or, or, or shooting doesn't. out from the doctor, you know? Yeah. Or he doesn't change, as the case may be, if they do regeneration fake outs on us. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we have um, the doctor gets uh, a, a, the police try to uh, they think that the doctor's responsible for the deaths of the uh, or the disappearance of, uh, or, or death of the aunt and the other policemen. Um, uh, Adric helps them escape. They decide to. Uh, flush out the master from the TARDIS by... Which is a great but very impractical idea. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to submerge the TARDIS in the Thames. And given how big the TARDIS is inside, it might actually absorb all of the water in the Thames before... Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, But but then the doctor misses the Thames and lands on a jetty. I'm not... I wasn't even sure, like, what that whole point was, but it was an interesting diversion in the story. Well, there was the whole... Well, there was the whole... uh conversation about how he missed the other police box by what 2.8 meters or something like that and well that's really good for you basically (laughs) the tardis that's really good that's really close and this was in an age where he didn't have good control of the tardis right right um uh, but so it's gotten better yes um but because he uh, uh, landed on the jetty, they see the watcher. He has a conversation with this mysterious watcher who tells him to go to Legopolis. And so uh, our our group, uh, which now consists of the, the doctor, Adric and Tegan, uh, they arrive on Legopolis. Uh, you know, as they get there, you know, Tegan ends up in the in the control room annoyed <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, and trying to figure out where she is and where's her aunt. Um uh, the doctor She's doesn't kind of freaking out. Yeah, the doctor doesn't tell her that her aunt is dead. Um, sort well, of. Goes, she, he didn't make the connection until later, right? Uh, she mentions it when they're on Legopolis. Yes, there in the right. Um, so they they meet up with the uh, Lagopolitan leader. <laughs> These names. So I think that's how monitor. you would say it. The Lagopolitan leader, yeah. the Monitor, um, who. Yep. Reveals so this is so the, we get back into the, some of the uh, the 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 hard the the high science fiction uh, bits here. The logopolitans are able to model reality by by mathematics. So whatever they, they cal- create reality, they create reality. Yes, uh, right. by so whatever they calculate can take physical form. Um, so, and because block transfer calculate computations cannot be calculated by machines, the logopolitans themselves each do one line of calculation and pass results on to the next person. So each logopolitan is, is a line of programming code. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because they, and the way they kind of phrased it was almost like memory storage where, you know, you had the, the registers, you know, of course that's a, anybody who's done assembly programming and computer knows the term register. It's a, right. it's a, a temporary 
storage area within the computer that you use as you're doing calculations. And then each person that's doing the calculations is almost like a memory unit, like a, a mm -hmm. byte within the computer. You know, so it's very interesting where it's almost like this was a they're, they're a living computer. And it's very important that they keep this computer going because it turns out they're keeping the universe alive. That exactly. The universe long ago passed the point where it would have naturally died due to entropy. And they've been propping up the system by creating these links, charged vacuum appointments to other universes to stave off the entropy problem. So if they shut down their calculations, the universe starts collapsing. Right. Uh, they said that the, the, the CVEs or um, embointments charged, yeah, yeah, charged vacuum. Just say CVE. So let's say CVE because <laughs> it'll be easier. They um, just trying to say the excess entropy is passing into the other universes. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what that what that means or looks like, but but one of the things yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah, but, this is actually something that's been a, a common theme or it's a famous theme in science fiction anyway about yeah. shunting energy and entropy between universes. There's a famous story uh, that Isaac Asimov wrote. I'm blanking on the name of it, but um, it was a short story he wrote where a human scientist like develops a source of unlimited energy, not realizing he's like sucking the life out of another universe. Oh, yes. And, I know that one. Yeah. And and this is kind of the reverse of that. So you kind of got to wonder what's happening in these other universes that they're <laughs> offloading our entropy into. Things may not exactly be going well for them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so uh, as they're... Um... As they're talking with the Lagopolitan leader, they the master has shown up, and he's he's started killing Lagopolitans, uh, disrupting the calculations that they're doing for the TARDIS to fix the Chameleon circuit. Um, right, he doesn't know about the the Lagopolitans keeping the universe alive. Right, he just he just thinks he's going to mess with the Doctor. That's all right. he cares about. Exactly, and so when they when they uh, produce the requested computation, it's flawed. And so it ends up shrinking the TARDIS to half its normal Yay. size. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The uh, And with the doctor trapped inside, uh, this is something that even though we don't get to see it very often, it, it's happened on other occasions in Doctor Who. Uh, fans of New Who will remember the Peter Capaldi episode Flatline, mm -hmm. yep. where the TARDIS shrinks down to like the size of a cracker box. Um, and, but that's not, and you might think, well, so, okay, it happened before in Legopolis. Is that the first time? The answer is actually no. It happened in the second season of Doctor Who in a William Hartnell story called Planet of the Giants, where the TARDIS materialized in a small form and everybody on board was like an inch tall <laughs> and got out and interacted with the environment and they had to defeat some like spies being an inch tall. Um, yeah. that would have so, been around yeah, the periodically it, we've yeah. seen this. Yeah. Sometimes it affects the people on the inside. Sometimes like this one, it doesn't as much, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, the, the doctor didn't get shrunk. At least we don't see him shrunk, yeah. but that, it the, affected him at least trying to get, you know, inside. And then there, of course, is the Peter Capaldi one where Peter Capaldi was the same size and the door was just, that <laughs> he, big, could, you know? he couldn't get yeah. out. Yeah. You know that that he reaches uh, hand out the door, and that was about it. Yeah, that second season episode. It, it reminds me that that would have been about the same time that on American television there was a a series, uh, um, Valley of the Giants. Valley of the Giants, where 
uh, people traveled to another world where they were in relation to the world. They were the they were the right size in their own world, mm-hmm. but in the relation to this other Earth, this other Earth was a hundred times bigger in all dimensions. Yeah. And so they were like Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, I think there must have been like this fascination at the time in pop culture with with that sort of idea. Hey, we can use process shots. <laughs> yeah, that might have been part of it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the technology. Let's use it. Well, speaking of technology, exactly. I'm fa- I'm also fascinated by this idea that um, whatever the current computing technology is seems to be the basis for. Uh, the, the story at the time. So, you know, the, yeah. at the mm-hmm. time it was magnetic tape and very much assembly language sorts of programming where we talk about registers well, and block computations and sorts of stuff. And that's the sort of story well, then we you get. Have, well, then you have the, the bubble memory, which was like very, 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 very early flash memory. Yes. I mean, it, yeah. And it really wasn't flash memories we understand today. It was basically a bunch of magnet loops. Right. Yeah. And they know. have to explain what bubble memory is to the audience. <laughs> So I was like, you mean you can turn off the computer and it won't forget everything it knows? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to remember having to reload my programs every time or, I turn the computer on. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is this is a, you know, they called it non-volatile RAM. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, you know, and it was very early. I mean, when it came out, it was absolutely revolutionary. Now, like those boards that you see Tom Baker holding, they might have stored four kilobytes, yes. eight kilobytes of memory, mm-hmm. maybe, you what, know, but, oh, that was revolutionary back then. What what I think is a total gas is that the Logopolitans are working on it like a fix for the entropy problem so that they don't have to keep doing all their computations. But their plan for the fix is involves using a model of an earth radio telescope and earth computers that they've yeah. come up with. Right. So they're going to fix the universe permanently with like four or eight kilobytes of Ram. Really? Like a, yeah, exactly. 1980 era, uh, you know, IBM mainframe, uh, it's going to fix the universe. Well, that's the thing is it's, it's, you know, it's the limitations of science fiction, isn't it? Is, is we, yeah. We produce what we think is seems advanced, but has to still be a buildable in our time frame and recognizable to the audience. And so there are certain well, limitations right. what to what they can to what they can do. Sure. So even now, it's like you know the 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 spaceships and or advanced technologies we see in current Doctor Who is still somewhat limited by our imagination for you know because and then another forty right. years. W- our children will look back and say, oh, my gosh, you know, that was that's that's so archaic. We're so much beyond that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, there are always limitations and science fiction makers do have a limited capacity to imagine what the future is going to be like. But sometimes you get a little bit more awareness on the part of writers that technology will change. So like in, in the original Star Trek, they had basically floppy disks. You know, I mean, you look at those things yep. they stick mm-hmm. in the food converters. Little cartridges, um, yeah. Yeah, they look. They don't look like like punch cards, which is what they would have had in the '60s, right? Um, and so they were a little bit prescient there. They look ex- almost exactly like brightly colored, you know, floppy disks. Um, and then in Babylon Five, uh, in the uh, in the '90s when that was on, they used data crystals as mm. the basis of memory storage. And so they had that something I don't think we're likely to see in our lifetimes. That's always going to look futuristic to us. Although, but people could still yeah. understand this is a storage medium. 
you know, yep. you know, it's but and then there's the other part, which is um, the science fiction that creates its own uh, analog in the real world, right? So, yeah. for example, yeah. the you know the in the when when cell phones became something you carried around with you and then weren't in a bag, the the first most popular was that remember the Motorola StarTac, um, which mm -hmm. was a flip phone. Well, the design of that comes directly from engineers who were Star Trek fans who wanted a Captain Kirk communicator. Yes. So the Star Tac exactly. was a Star Trek communicator. I mean, so there's there's a bit of a, a back well, and, and forth. There's a there's a prize right now for inventing tricorders. Exactly. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. And we have sim, you know, we have similar technologies where now there are handheld ultrasounds, where they're mm -hmm. about the size of a cell phone with a wand attached to it, and you know that almost almost looks like a tricorder, not quite, but getting there. You know. Right. I wanted... Well, and actually, I had some endodontic tooth surgery a while back, and they actually used something on my mouth that was basically a lot like a sonic screwdriver, and I told them so. <laughs> I was going to say, I want, I want a sonic screwdriver. I want it to be open every no, door. No, you don't. Not in this case. <laughs> well, not, not yeah, that I'm sonic sure screwdriver. Not. I want the kind that opens up doors, because um, I forget my keys too often. And, and might actually loosen and tighten a screw <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. Hey, maybe that might be possible. That I can see that. Anyway, yeah. back we're off track, but let's get back on track. So, um, so uh, the watcher shows up and he's got Nissa in tow. Yeah, he went and grabbed her from from Tracken, right? Tracken. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'd forgotten that she didn't go with the doctor initially. That he, yeah, that she showed up later. Right. She was not initially written as a as an ongoing companion. She was a one off character in The Keeper of Trocken, but they liked her enough. They said, let's make her a regular companion. And she jumped at the chance. Mm -hmm. And because the the master looks like her father, um, he tricks her and ends up uh, putting a, a basically a mind control bracelet on her. He, he lets him uh, use her to attack others, which is kind of funny. It's a I don't want to seem sexist, but. You know why have this 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 oh. fairly slightly built young woman attacking others when you are a much larger guy who can do a lot more damage? Uh, why put yourself at risk? I, I guess that would be exactly. the master's philosophy. I guess so. I don't, I don't. Well, and that and that kind of fits the master's personality, though. Why do it yourself when you can get someone else to do it for you, especially someone unwillingly like that, where it really wasn't even mind control; it was muscle control, right? Yeah, so that. You know, so that she had no control and she had to watch with horror as she's reaching to strangle someone. You know, I guess it makes it that much more that, horrible. Kind of the masters. Yeah, that's kind of his his way of acting, where if he could use it to torment the person that he's controlling all the better. Exactly. And, you know, it's not necessarily Nissa that he would go for. I mean, I could easily imagine the master doing. I mean, heck, he could trick Adric into turning traitor. Adric turns traitor at the drop of a hat in the stories he's exactly. in. <laughs> So I want to kind of jump ahead because a, a lot of what happens next is sort of can be summed up as uh, the master running around. Yeah. And the master disrupts the Lagopolitan uh, computations, uh, not believing that they that th their computations are holding the universe together. He, he dismisses this claim. Um, it, what he wants is what is it he wanted? He wanted to uh, to take control of their ability to re shape reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we we get this um, 
the the monitor ends up dying because that because when Just the when disintegrating the, in front of our eyes yes he like fades out of existence right on Legopolis starts falling apart and the master realizes he's really messed things up yes the entropy is really it's, it's centered on Legopolis and even parts of the universe are starting to go away including Trocken right. Yeah, everybody yep. on Trocken dies. And this is one of the things that has been pointed out about this episode. A huge chunk of the universe starts dis just disappears. This episode probably has the highest body count of any Doctor Who story ever. Right. Because big chunks of the universe vanish and never come back. Wow. That's uh, that. So this is this is one of those episodes with the high stakes that you often talk about, Jimmy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a high stakes episode. So um, basically, they figure out what we've got to do is we've got to transmit this new code that the, the Logopolitans had developed. Uh, but since we can't do it from Log uh, Logopolis because the the Pharos Project analog there has been destroyed, they got to do it from Earth from the real Pharos Project. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. so the doctor and the master agree to work together to the horror of the companions. Um, yeah. And, and by the way, we should mention that the Pharaoh's project is kind of the doctor who analog to the SETI right. project, the alien yeah. research. Yeah. Was search yeah, for extraterrestrial life. Yeah. Pharaoh's incidentally is an old, it's a Greek word for a lighthouse. Yes. And so I guess the idea is this is kind of a beacon that we're going to use to make contact with extraterrestrials. And it's just a big radio telescope is all it is. Yep. But mm -hmm. um, but that's the idea. And I love because you've got um, Adric and Nyssa are extraterrestrials. <laughs> I love when they arrive. It's like they're announcing themselves. Hey, we're the extraterrestrials you've been trying to contact. Yeah. I, I like that line. <laughs> well, then they should be happy to see us. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So um, the, while the companions distract the guards, uh, the two Time Lords, they, they go up to the control room. Uh, and they 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 get around the obvious uh, uh, objection from the fans by hooking up a light speed overdrive right. to ensure so, that the yep. signal gets to the uh, embointment in time. Right. Because obviously, if you know, we can only with a with an actual radio telescope, we can only transmit information at light speed. So it would prop by the time it would propagate out at one light year per year of real time. Right. The rest of the universe would have fallen into chaos. So there they do. I, I like the fact they throw that in. They've got this bit of technology from the master to get the information fix out there faster than the speed of light. Right. So, this is some, this, save the universe. I, this is this is the overdrive transmission for the the TARDIS, the Master's TARDIS. Apparently, you know, they yeah. make it sound like it's a it's a component of the TARDIS. So this is how the TARDIS goes faster than light. I don't know. <laughs> let's yeah. just put a, let's just move <laughs> on. Can do a lot accept of it and go on. Yeah, uh, right. Because it, what it's doing is stabilizing the connection to the last remaining uh, CVE CVE that's near us. Yes, or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So um, then we find out that really, surprise, that this, this was really just a ploy by the master to, uh, who turns on the doctor. I, my interpretation was that this was like a target of opportunity for the master, that he didn't that's, that's envision. Kind of yeah, he didn't have this in mind from the beginning. But once he realizes, hey, we're saving the universe, never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> yeah. And he and he kind of get that where you can see the wheels spinning where he's looking at the guy who's unconscious in the control room because they just knocked him out and uh 
grabs his little Walkman and runs off like, hey, I got an idea what I can do with this. You know, yeah. it's that kind okay. of idea more than it is a, uh, I'm, this is all a, a dastardly plan. Yeah. So people and, of the universe meet the new boss. Right. So he, what he threatens yes. now that he has something that's capable of transmitting across the universe, just like they just transmitted the program. Uh, he tells the universe that uh, they have to uh, acknowledge him as ruler. Um, it seems very impractical, but okay. But acknowledge him as ruler or he will uh, reverse the, the CVE will close the CVE and restart the end of the universe. Uh, it just, it just doesn't seem like, I don't think he's thought this through. So maybe you're right. This is a target of opportunity because he really hasn't thought this through exactly. this, this threat through. Anyway, the doctor, uh, who's being held at bay by the, uh, the doll maker, uh, to, uh, gun, the, uh, tissue eliminator. Uh, oh, the tissue compression. Yeah. Yes. Um, he realizes that the only, the only thing that's, that's allowing the, the master to have to be, to keep this threat in play is, um, that cable that's way out on the edge of the the, uh, the radio yeah. dish that's precariously perched. The entry there. Connecting so, the computer to the transmitter. Right. So the doctor, like, uh, uh, just bolts for the uh, the gantry outside. Uh, I love that he uses the iconic scarf, the the, the doctor's long yeah. scarf. He uses yeah. it to trip the do the the master coming out of the uh, of the <laughs> control room. I love that that he that we the, the scarf gets its last revenge, uh, its and, last and, use. And that is not the only time a doctor eccentricity will suddenly play a role right before regeneration. We'll see that next time again in the caves of Androzani, where. Peter Davidson's lapel celery stalk suddenly becomes plot relevant right before he regenerates. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, good, good. I, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, so the uh, the the master tries to um, prevent the doctor by by moving the dish around, like try to knock the doctor off as he re repositions the giant radio telescope dish, um, and the doctor manages to disconnect the cable, but. Uh, falls off the gantry and and hangs there in the air. And as he's hanging, he's, he we get this um, montage of his old enemies, uh, the 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 old master, the Dalek, uh, uh, a Cybertar and Cyberman. Yes, uh, yeah. Davros, a uh, uh, Zygon. Um, and then he loses his grip. He plummets to the ground. And then the the master manages to get into his own TARDIS and get away before the guards get there. Uh, and so then now we have the doctor uh, on the ground and all the companions run up to him. And as he as he's dying, we get another montage of his <clears> companions <throat> that that have accompanied him over the over the past seven seasons as Sarah Jane, uh, Harry Sullivan, the Brigadier, uh, Leela, Leela K9 yeah, and Romana in two incarnations because she's right. regenerated. Yep. Um, and this is the first time this has happened with these villain and companion flashbacks. This later becomes a staple in regeneration stories yep. um, to the point that when Matt Smith regenerates, he doesn't just have a he doesn't just have a brief vision of Amy Pond, but actually kind of a little mini scene with her. Right. Um, and so this is setting up something. When John Pertwee regenerated, we didn't get any of this. He just laid on the floor and regenerated. Yeah. But um, this is this kind of flashback to meaningful things in a doctor's life is something that now becomes part of the standard mythology. And so, in fact, right up to the most current uh, doctor who had started to have this sort of montage of the companions, but stopped it 
right, right before yep. uh, the regeneration began. Um, so the Watcher approaches, um, and Nissa tells the audience what we need to know, which is that this is the Doctor all the time. Um, How she knew it, I don't know, but she guessed. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, and then the Watcher merges with the dying Doctor, which triggers the regeneration, and then we have uh, the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, in his place. Uh, and yeah. so, and so that, I mean, that's the story. Um, it was, it was complex. <laughs> I have to say mm -hmm. it was some bits of it, uh, but enjoyable from my point of view. What did you guys think? I enjoyed it a lot. A couple of quick notes about it. Uh, number one, the watcher was not played by Peter Davison. It was played by another guy who is like a ballet artist and they had him, you couldn't tell who he was because they had him dressed up, not just in a white costume, but with this kind of. Mask. Paper mache white mask, yeah. and and then they subbed in Peter Davison in the regeneration sequence. Also, um, this uh, episode is referred to at the end of Peter Capaldi's time, where the two masters, as Peter Capaldi is about to be injured and start his regeneration process, the two masters have him tied up in a chair, and they're asking him about all the ways he's died. Have you burned? Have you done this? And Missy at one point says, I know you've fallen. And that's what she's referring to yep, is this exactly. episode. Right. She was there. Um, also, something I think it's in the credits of this episode. I'd have to check. But um, there's a, it, this this may be the last episode where the doctor is credited as Doctor Who. Going hmm. forward, he starts being credited just as the doctor. But up to this point, the show has been referring to the lead character, not as the doctor, but as Doctor Who in the credits of the show itself. Hmm. And that kind of plays into later fan controversy about is right. he the doctor or is he some is he Doctor Who or exactly what? Well, up to this point... Every episode we've aired has yep. said Doctor Who in the credits. Yeah, at least I uh, just looked at the TARDIS wiki, yeah. and it for the next episode, Castor Valva, it does show him as the Doctor in the cast list, not Doctor Who as it was before this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it is funny because on the you know you go on Reddit, the Doctor Who subreddit, and somebody will make an issue of this, and then they'll post pictures of the credit line. There's you know Doctor Who, William Hart, no Doctor <laughs> Who, Patrick Troughton. Yeah, you don't call him Doctor Who. Well, that's what it called him in the credits, you know. Yeah, and I I think that'll be like the Doctor Who fandoms civil war. It's yeah. it's the which but, they poked at, which we talked about. Uh, was that uh, it was uh, it was also in World Enough in Time because because Missy brings it up and right. says, oh, he picked the name Doctor I, Who. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, so but uh, so those are just a couple of little minor notes that I wanted to get in. But in terms of the overall episode, I liked it. It's a little kind of woo-woo out there uh, in terms of the science and the technology, but it's it's a lot of fun. I think so. Yeah. And yeah, Father Corey, what, what was here? Oh, I, I very much agree with Jimmy. I think this was this was a good example of classic who when it was at its most energetic. You know, we've watched some episodes yeah. that they like, well, like the uh, the war games that just went on and on and on <laughs> right. and on and on repeat. Um, this one, you know, it's kept going. This is probably one of the more most uh, TARDIS time that we've had on TV in a long time. We're actually inside the TARDIS. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I want to point out too is that they do something here that they do a lot is when you <clears> see <throat> the Master's TARDIS, it's identical to the Doctor's TARDIS except for some color change or it'll something be like that. Yeah. yeah, it'll be darker. So, like you notice the the background lights on the Rondels are more of a reddish color in the Master's TARDIS versus the white of the Doctor's TARDIS. Things like that. I'm pretty sure. There's another time we see it where the walls are black. Okay. Yep. And so he's got kind of this goth vibe, as if you couldn't tell from the fact he's always dressing like Johnny Cash. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't think we actually ever see the the dark the the Master's TARDIS in the New Who. That's something we they've never shown us, as far as I can recall. No, they haven't. They haven't ever shown yeah, us. Shown so. No, they yeah. haven't ever done that. So, um, if if we if we've we're done talking about. Uh, Legopolis. I actually would love to do a, a cover a little bit of the feedback we've received on uh, Facebook and an email. Um, the, uh-huh. These go back to a few episodes, so we're we're kind of we're we're kind of uh, recording ahead a little bit um, by the you know as as you read this. And so um, the first one is about the war games. Um, Jan McDonough sent an email. She said, uh, "As to the war games, there was a comment on the podcast about including World War II and mo- more war- modern wars. Why they weren't th- there?" And she recalls that the doctor asked the war chief or the warlord in one of the episodes this, that same question, and the answer was that with any war later than World War One, there was too much technology. The soldiers would have known that they were not on Earth because of their familiarity with adv- of advanced technology. Um, so there's that. Oh. Missed that one. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she says, uh, I also read in a book called The Vault that this story was made into 10 episodes because there were two failed scripts before it due to budget, personnel, or whatever issues. So they were trying to take up a little of the empty space in the season by elongating this one. Um, the War Games. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, like with Father Corey commenting on the energeticness of Legopolis, imagine it is a 10-parter and it would have been <laughs> similar in pacing to the yes, war games. exactly. Right. And then she says that one of the reasons that Patrick Troughton decided to leave was because of all the script problems during that season. Mm-hmm. Like, he probably mm-hmm. got frustrated. So that was from Jan. Uh, also uh, about the war games from uh, Fred Firestein. Um, thanks for a great overview of the story, as always. As you talked about the transition from Troughton to Pertwee, I recalled a panel discussion from Long Island WhoCon, uh, a, 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 a Doctor Who convention on Long Island, about UNIT. Uh, originally, it was introduced as a way to cut down screen time for the Doctor because of the scra- crazy shooting schedule they had back then. I don't know. And if- to save budget, uh, save on budget by making everything set on Earth for a while. Okay. Okay. And but it also did it also put other people on screen besides the Doctor? He had, less he had a larger time. cast. Yeah. Okay. Because you'd you'd, already, have, you'd have the brigadier and and the the captain and the uh, uh, captain Mike Yates, Yates yeah, and, Sergeant yeah, Benton. and Sergeant Benton. So there'd be scenes that were just unit with the companion, for example. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I do recall that from the the, the that regeneration uh, series that was. But like that. by the way, speaking of Doctor Who conventions, just. Not yesterday, but the day before, I actually went to a Doctor Who convention here in San Diego, San Diego WhoCon. Fun. Um, I do a form of British folk dancing, and so since it's a British event, we went and danced at the event. Um, And I got a bunch, uh, and I linked all of the dances we did to Doctor Who in one way or another. Um, but, uh, but I uh, got a bunch of pictures with the cosplayers in front of the TARDIS. And so I'm going to try to get those. So by the, uh, uploaded so that by the time 
this podcast is released, uh, people can look at some of those pictures if they want. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll try to get the, a link in the show notes uh, when the, when those are online. That'll be great. Awesome. And then one final piece of feedback, Scott Shields also uh, talking about the war games. He says, there's one point where I think you guys confused the three doctors with the five doctors. So I'm um, not recalling, but I think maybe in one of the episodes, uh, uh, they we, we were talking about having well, we, we multiple doctors on screen. Yeah, we might have mentioned. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what that was, but I think you know, we talked about something coming back. Oh, um, we talked about how uh, Jamie. W- oh, uh, that could Vicky, be it. Victoria. Yeah. How they remembered the doctor and they shouldn't have because it was after. There was that whole conversation about you know after the Time Lord snatched the doctor that he went off and had some adventures before he actually regenerated. Right. And uh, you know Jamie shouldn't have been able to remember. They shouldn't have been able to remember because the Time Lords erased their memory. Um, I, I think uh, Jimmy, you might have mentioned the third three doctors when we were talking about the five doctors episode. Or Maybe, one of us might have said know. the three doctors when we meant the five doctors. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. In, in terms of errors uh, regarding Doctor Who, uh, a one-syllable slip of involving a number <laughs> two digits off is is something I for which I hope the listeners will forget. And you know, we can always we can always you know we can always do the uh, the new Who excuse of wibbly wobbly timely wimey. Yeah. The, right. the time war changed all that. Yes. So. The time, yeah. Well, <laughs> the main reason I bring it up is I want to just you know, remember that there there are several yeah. episodes where more than one Doctor uh is is yes. is working with other doctors so there's the three doctors the five doctors and uh the day of the doctor well there's well there's two doctors with uh the sixth doctor and patrick troughton okay yep. okay that's two doctors and, and then then there's the the day of the doctors the day of the doctors okay day of the doctor yeah because night of the doctors was the eighth doctor regeneration yeah and the day yeah of the only was... only before the listeners get on you it's singular day of the doctor day of the doctor Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. Keeping it all straight. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> but thank you, uh, Jan and Fred and Scott and everyone else who's yeah. left feedback. We really appreciate it. We love getting feedback. Uh, we we uh, like uh, all the nice things you've all said. Uh, we do hope that you continue to uh, share the podcast with other uh, Doctor Who fans uh, and, and and get the word out uh, that we're doing this because uh, that's why we do it. We because we, we we'd like to reach as many people as possible. So um, that's it from us. Uh, let us know. Give us some feedback. What did you think of the fourth Doctor Regeneration story, Legopolis? Uh, you can uh, let us know by visiting tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites and, and other stuff we've referenced uh, on our show notes on tridio.com. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing, we'll be going back to discuss a first Doctor story, the Daleks, in preparation for a, a ninth Doctor story that we're also going to do the following week on the reintroduction of the Daleks. So uh, we're, we're going to uh, be jumping around a bit here, uh, and then we'll return after that to regeneration stories. But uh, until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Always enjoy it. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those. <laughs> <laughs>